The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the ninth chapter. Now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The text for my sermon is our Gospel from Luke chapter 9. It's interesting that Jesus begins our gospel for today by asking for the opinion of the crowd. And it becomes clear immediately that the opinion of the crowd is wrong. He's not Elijah. He's not just one of the prophets. But although that opinion is wrong, it's not as though the disciples immediately know why or what the right answer is. Only Peter eventually being given the answer, not by flesh and blood, but by God the Father from heaven, as we learn from other Gospels, knows who Jesus is, that he is the Christ of God. Peter answers a very important question that Jesus asks about his person. In the Christian religion, we talk about two very important ideas, that of Christ's person and of his work. His person refers to who he is as true God and true man. And his work refers to all that he has done for us men and for our salvation. How he has kept the law perfectly on our behalf. How he's lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, risen from the dead for our justification, ascended into heaven, leading captivity captive and giving gifts to men. And that there, now, at the right hand of God, he lives forever to make intercession for us. And from there, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. So now that Peter has correctly answered a question about Christ's person, Jesus moves on to discuss his work. It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things, that he be put to death, that he should be rejected, and then rise. Even if the disciples, even if Peter could understand the answer about Christ's person, they have a hard time with the reality of what his work is. We learn from St. Matthew's Gospel that Peter had to be taken aside and told, get behind me, Satan, because he tried to put a stop to what Christ intended to do. But the two cannot be separated. That Jesus is the Christ means 
he must suffer. And the reality in our gospel for today that is difficult to come to terms with for the crowds, for the disciples, for us, is that if you are a Christian, you also will suffer. Whoever would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The cross is not some sort of potential reality that might happen. Jesus says it is necessary for him to bear the cross, and he says, whoever would follow me, let him take up his cross. It's not a question of whether or not the cross is there. It is before you every day. The only question is, will you take it up? Or will the cross be too heavy? Will you decide to join the crowd on the wide and easy way that leads to hell? This is the question before the disciples. And it's a question that the crowd has probably already answered. It's a question that maybe we should consider. What is the opinion of our crowds about suffering, about the Christ? How does it relate to Christianity? Perhaps our crowds on Netflix and Facebook don't really think about suffering all that often. And whenever they encounter it, they try to hide it with pharmaceutical drugs or with some sense-deadening pleasure. Or maybe with the newest form of entertainment. If they think about suffering in relationship to Christianity, they think it disproves it. How could there be a good and all-powerful God when there are earthquakes and tsunamis and children with cancer? And how could he send millions of people to hell for not believing in him? Maybe the opinion of the crowd is understandable to a certain extent. But the opinion of the crowd is once again wrong. They do not hide suffering in the wounds of Christ. They try to hide from suffering by the pleasures of this present life. So what about the disciples? What do you think about suffering? How do you think of not only the suffering that all men have to endure, but also the cross uniquely placed on Christians? And that is a very difficult thing to come to grips with. Perhaps suffering is even more difficult to face than death. Many a pious Christian knows what Christ's death has done to death. That he has transformed it from the unchallenged king reigning from Adam to Moses to now nothing but the portal that leads from the strife of this life to eternal life with him. Death has been changed forever by the death of Christ, and so perhaps many Christians do not fear it. And if you don't, give thanks to God. But we probably all fear suffering. The consolation of many a person who has a loved one that has died is, at least they're no longer suffering. When we read the pages of the New Testament, and there are times where hell is described as eternal death, those don't fill us with quite as much terror 
as the places where it is described as eternal conscious torment, where the worm dies not. And finally, when we look at our Lord on the cross, we really aren't that terrified. We don't shrink as much in fear and anguish and sorrow when he commends his spirit unto his Father in heaven, when he finally breathes out his last breath in death. No, the thing that makes us shrink when we watch Passion of the Christ or when we see depictions of our Lord, the thing that makes us shrink and fills us with sadness is when we see the crown of thorns forced onto his head, when we see his flesh opened by whips, when we see nails driven into his hands and a spear into his side. These are the things that fill us with sorrow. But these are the things that Jesus says are necessary. Who is it necessary for? It's necessary for you. Our Lord had to go to the cross. He had to shed his blood. He had to suffer the wrath of God over every sin that you might not suffer the wrath of God over your sin. And he was glad to do it. He went to the cross glad for your sake. Out of his great love for you, he did all these things. He was silent before his shearers, and he opened not his mouth for your sake. And this suffering of Christ has changed not only death for us, but also suffering. In the same way that death is no longer this great enemy but now just the doorway to eternal life, so also suffering has been changed for the Christian. Now suffering comes from your Father in heaven that has been reconciled to you. And so the crowd has it exactly backwards. The gospel is not destroyed because of suffering. Suffering is changed because of the gospel. It is good news that suffering comes from God because of who we know that God is. If he is the one who gives crosses, if he is the one who allows difficult times in our lives, then is it not good news that the one in control of all these things is on your side? That he is reconciled to you for the sake of Jesus? That all things happen according to his good pleasure? And that he will, in due time, take these crosses away from you? And even if he chooses in his wisdom to allow them to last as long as you live, consider that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. How could it? And so we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Suffering could never disprove the truths of Christianity. It is as if all of us are riding on a four-wheeler with someone else driving. And then all of a sudden, the ride gets a little bumpy. Well, if you trust the person driving, then your instinct is not to let go of the person driving and jump off just because the drive is bumpy. 
as if you're going to do better by yourself. No, you trust if the person who's driving, who's in control of everything, if you know that they will get you through it, then it's going to make you cling all the more tighter to the person driving. And that is what suffering does for the Christian who knows who his God is for the sake of Jesus Christ, who prays our Father. He knows that the person in control of all things, who arranges all the events of our lives, will work all things for good in the end. He will get us through it, no matter what it is. And even if it's not solved until the very end of our life, then we know that we have eternity in heaven with him. And once again, that the sufferings of this present life are not worth it to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So then how do we as Christians bear the cross in a way unique even to the suffering that all men endure? Well, in many cases in our present age, it has to do with what Jesus says at the end of our gospel reading. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words will the Son of Man be ashamed. We must cling to his word. We must cling to his law and love it, as Psalm 119 says. Because we love all of the things that his law protects. We love marriage. And so we hate unchastity. We love our parents and other authorities. And so we hate disobedience. We love our neighbor's reputation, and so we hate gossip. We love our Lord's house, and we love his word, and we love his name. And so we hate false doctrine and blasphemy and anything that would try to take us out of our Lord's house. This is how the Christian loves his law and wants to see it preached and protected and defended and confessed. So take heart. Do not despair. If you face the sufferings of this present life common to all men under the sun, whether it be financial difficulties or chronic illness or injury, or if you face the unique suffering of a Christian, family members turned away from you because of what you believe, or difficulty at work with people who do not share your confession of faith, rejoice. And know that you are being conformed into the image of God's own Son in your suffering, in your bearing the cross. And that God is not aloof from your suffering. In Christ Jesus, God knows your suffering better than you do. Surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And if he knows every hair on your head, and if he has all of your tears in his book, then he knows what you are going through even better than you do. He knows how to bring you through it in his own good time. If God himself is for you, then you can defy a host. You can defy a whole world for his sake. God gives us our days of gladness, and we will praise him still when he sends us sadness. God is good. His love attends you. Day by day, come what may, he guides you and defends you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.